So if you're a guest with us today, my name is Kevin. I serve as the lead pastor here at Greenbelt. We're in part four of a four-part series called How to Neighbor. And I know what happens when people show up for the first time on a Sunday. It's like, oh my goodness, it's part four. I'm not going to know anything that's going on. Don't worry, you will. We'll make sure that you can keep up to date and, and really fully understand what we're talking about. Basically, what we have been doing for the past three weeks, and today being the last one, the fourth week, is we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus called his church to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Right? We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. But the culture that you and I find ourselves living in today is rapidly changing. The stuff that we're dealing with and struggling with as churches and just in schools and in our community, the stuff that we're debating and having to wrestle with as church leaders, who would have imagined we'd be talking about this stuff five years ago, ten years ago? Right? And so we as the church, we can get so comfortable thinking we're loving our neighbors, but if culture has changed so rapidly and they actually think we're public enemy number one, then maybe we're not as good as loving our neighbors as we think we are. So the teachings of Jesus always stay the same, but how you and I are called to live that out in an ever-changing culture, we have to always go back and look at that. And ask ourselves the tough questions. How are we doing? So we started this series off and we talked about loving the lonely. Loving the lonely. We live in an incredibly connected world where we are more connected today than at any other point in human history. And we are seeing record numbers of loneliness, of depression, suicide. So what is it about our culture that's so connected yet people are still feeling so lonely? That ultimately people need to know that there is a God who loves them, who brings them into the family of God and the church. We are knit together to overcome and battle this loneliness. We talked about empowering the poor. That it's not just simply about kind of meeting people's financial needs to help them out. But it's how do we come alongside them over the long haul and empower them and raise them up so that they can kind of live the life that God has called and created them to live. How do we do that as the church? Last week, um, this was a, last week was originally supposed to be my Mother's Day kind of message. Um, and people were like, dude, I can't believe you're talking about that on Mother's Day. And you're like, you're right, that's crazy. So I moved everything around. Uh, because last week we talked about loving our LGBTQ neighbors. <laughs> I was terrified of that message, to be honest. I was like, I'm not putting this online. I don't want to you know, feed the trolls. I don't want people coming after me. We're just not going to talk about it. But we as the church have got to talk about this. We have got to be way better at talking about this issue of sexual ethics and gender and all of these things that our kids are dealing with at school now. And so many people are struggling with it. And I know there's a tension. I know there's a tension on this topic. And a number of you emailed me about that tension. But you know what? The text messages that I received this week from people I care about from that community even though we disagree on issues of gender, even though we disagree on issues of marriage, I received text messages from members of the, of the LGBT community appreciating the way that we're handling this conversation in love, in humility, but being grounded in truth. We can disagree and still get along. It's actually possible. 
We need to learn to get better at that as followers of Jesus. And today what I want to do is I want to wrap this series up talking about something that is really near and dear to my heart. Um, I want us to start looking in Matthew chapter 18. If you have a Bible with you, uh, look, open up to Matthew chapter 18. If you want, you can download the church app. You can click the sermon outline button and you can follow along that way. And this is kind of like what I call a topical message. I'm not just going to sit in Matthew 18. We're going to jump around a little bit. But Matthew 18 is kind of the springboard. Now, what I'm going to be talking about today is very similar to the last few weeks. We're going to be talking up here, right, 30,000 feet. What's kind of the big idea that Scripture teaches And then it's up to all of us to kind of do that hard work, to kind of meet with God, to pray, to let the Spirit of God speak to us so that we can each figure out what's the specific call on all of us as a church family and as individuals, right? So Matthew chapter 18 is what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about the church's role in loving orphans. What is the church's role in loving children? This is one of those passages of Scripture where I personally struggle with it. Because there's lots of passages where we see, you know, Jesus, and it's that picture of Jesus that we love, right? It's the picture of Jesus who's got the lamb on his shoulder, and it's his blonde hair, and his blue eyes, and he's clean, and he's walking around, and everyone's smiling, and everybody loves him. Or that picture of Jesus with the little kid sitting up on his shoulder, and everyone's smiling, and they're all dancing around Jesus. (laughs) Or that, you know, when you think of like the footprint poem, you know, and the beautiful footprints in the sand of Jesus walking alongside. I always kind of imagine my equivalent of that poster would be like dragging like in the sand and like all these hands and all these fingerprints like gripping the sand. Stop trying to stop me from going where Jesus is trying to bring me. But that's just my walk and how God's worked in my life. Um, but this is one of these passages that as a pastor, as a father, as a follower of Jesus, there's words in here that bother me. And it's important for us as a church to look at the words that bother us. Because we call ourselves followers of Jesus. We just can't pick and choose which parts of Jesus' teachings we want to follow. We can't just follow the easy ones. We want to follow even the tough ones. So this is what's how it starts here in Matthew chapter 18. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I love humanity. <laughs> I love the sinfulness of mankind. <laughs> For some reason, what is it about us that wants to know how awesome we are? You know, it's like, am I doing better than Mark? Am I doing better than John? You know that Matthew guy, tax collector? Sure, he's writing the gospel, but you know what? He's still a tax collector. I'm obviously greater than him, right? What about Mary or Sally or Jane? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus has to kind of give kind of a good teaching moment at that time. And so Jesus calls a little child to him. And he placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children. Here he is. He's speaking to these people who have given up everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus saying, guys, you need to change. You need to stop worrying about these things about who's the greatest and who's the most important, who's the most religious, who's getting it right. You need to change. You need a change of heart here. And I think given just that word, I'd encourage you to circle that word, highlight that word. But the call of Jesus on all of our lives is to change. Because we've got sin in our heart. We've got stuff that's going on in our flesh, and we don't like change. 
But Jesus looks at us. He says, you need to change. And you need to become like little children. And if you don't do that, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. There's that beautiful picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus with all the kids and everyone singing Sunday school songs and having this great time. But then this is where Jesus just kind of pokes at us a little bit. And he says this to his disciples. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow, there's warm and fuzzy Jesus on Mother's Day. Okay. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, if you cause them to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone. A millstone is a big rock that was used to crush grain. It was better to have one of those tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones who believe in Jesus to stumble. Jesus takes the care of children to be incredibly important. Right? Children whose childlike faith believes in him. How we as disciples of Jesus care for, Je- uh, care for children Jesus takes this as a huge, important task for disciples of Jesus. I want you to think about our lifetime, especially those of us where the hair is a little grayer. In our lifetime, how many kids have walked away from the faith? Under our care, under our watch, while we were doing church, while we were doing what we love doing, singing the songs we love, doing the ministry that we love, how many of these little ones who believed in him stumbled and walked away? Why do they stumble? Is it because they felt lonely in a church environment that didn't understand their world? They didn't feel like people welcomed them, didn't feel like people cared? Were they just taught in Sunday school to be a good boy, be a good girl? Were they just taught good Christian ethic morals and never actually brought to Jesus to confess their sins to him and have the Spirit of God come into their life and empower them? Were our teenagers dealing with sexual ethics and sexual conduct that we as the church had no clue how to talk about and refused to talk about it, and they stumbled. These words of Jesus here are incredibly powerful. And as culture continues to change at a rapid pace, the church needs to know how to care for children that are dealing with the culture changes that they are living with. I remember years ago, 
I went to a church leadership conference. I was a brand new pastor. I had just left the computer industry world that I worked in for 14 years. I was a new associate pastor at a church of about 800 people. My senior pastor sent me on this training. And it was all about how does the church engage and reach the next generation. And the speaker was asking all of these questions, saying, would you do this to reach the next generation? Would you do this? Would you do this? And it was like, would you hire a youth pastor? Oh, yeah, everyone. Yeah, well, would you hire a kids director? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll do that. Would you uh, kind of paint the kids ministry room? Oh, yeah, 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 we'll do that. Would you install a slide? Eh, slides at church. I don't know if we're allowed to do that. So there's a little bit of tension on that one. And then he said, if you're a senior pastor, I want to ask you a question. He says, if you would die to see more children accept Christ in your ministry, to see your kids, your grandkids accept Jesus, if you were willing to die for that, stand up. And I watched hundreds of men stand up. And it was beautiful. It was amazing. I think. And then he said this, how many of you will go back to your church tomorrow and change your style of worship to reach those kids for Christ. And with tears in my eyes, I watched men sit down. And Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, to give in to sin, to believe the lies of our spiritual enemy, to walk away from Jesus... It's on them. It's on us. If we want to truly love our neighbors, it starts with how do we love our own kids? How do we love the orphans in this world that we live in? Right? Jesus, we saw this in this series as well. Jesus talks about two different types of judgments that are going to happen. There's first our salvation judgment. What gets us into heaven? It's the work of Jesus, nothing but the work of Jesus, completely and totally the work of Jesus. It's Jesus dying for our sins on the cross. And when we believe that, we are made new, we are born again. There's that judgment of who believes. But then Jesus teaches about a second judgment, that how do you and I live our lives out of that identity, out of our salvation? How do we live? There's a judgment for how you and I have lived our lives as followers of Jesus. And could you imagine standing before your Savior, hearing the words, you have caused little ones to stumble. This is what this text is saying. And I know this is really heavy for Mother's Day. It gets better, okay? Trust me, okay? But this is the world we live in. And we can be comfortable just doing ministry in a way that we enjoy Or we can be purposeful on truly loving the orphans around us, right? And so that's kind of the big idea. The big idea to God is that children are incredibly important. Orphans are incredibly important to God. So they need to be incredibly important to us, right? You can see this in uh, James. The Apostle James wrote about this in James chapter 1, verse 27. He said, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. That's, again, should be one of those verses you should underline. Basically, the apostle's telling us, this is what God wants you to do. Well, maybe I should do this one, right? Like when he's this clear, like these are, it doesn't get much clearer than this. This is what the kind of a religion God the Father accepts. To look after orphans. 
to take care of the widow in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Right? Orphans and widows back in that culture, they were the least of these. They were the victims of everything that happened in their culture. War, famine, you know, death, those kind of things that would happen. These orphans couldn't take care of themselves. They couldn't meet their own needs. They were dependent on other people. And the call to God's people is that it's on us to take care of them. Because God's heart is for the least of these. Right? And so if God likes a certain type of religious practice, then shouldn't we do that? Shouldn't we be known as a place that welcomes the little ones, that cares for the orphan? Right? And our world today is filled with orphans whether it's physical, like actual orphans, the way we would define orphan, or whether it's spiritual orphans through different breakdowns in the family that we're experiencing in our day today. Currently, right now, there's 153 million orphans in the world. 153 million. Right? 69 million children suffer from malnutrition. Right? In Canada alone, over 50,000 children are in the foster care system. You know, and, and when you look at Aboriginal kids, like First Nation kids, they only make up about 3% of the child population of Canada, yet nearly 25% of them are in foster care. Right? And this is like, and, just, and if you add to that, the breakdown in family, you know, more kids experiencing loneliness and depression and anxiety. We've got kids who are hurting and are broken and need to know how much they're loved by Jesus, by us. Right? Because God's plan to care for the orphan, to care for children, God's plan A is for the church to do this. Again, we can hand it off to government and hope they do it, but that government's got too many other stuff they got to do. It's the call of the church to care for the least of these. God, the church is God's plan A to care for children, to care for orphans. So what I want to do is I want to kind of break this down into kind of two big ideas. Again, I'm preaching kind of way up here, then we'll try to give a little bit of application, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will speak to all of us in a personal way to help us all figure out what our part is this. But kind of two big ideas that I want you to, to, to work through and wrestle with this week are these. I encourage you to write these down, talk about them in your life group this week. Um, so the first is this, is that caring for children is a central theme in Scripture. Caring for children is a central theme in Scripture. Um, uh, Years ago, when I first started studying at Heritage Seminary, I had to take an introduction to the Bible course. Phenomenal course. Blew my mind. I learned so much stuff that I thought I knew and thought I didn't know and all these different things and all the tensions and all the different authors and phenomenal course. I think every single Christian should take a seminary-level intro to the Bible course so that we can kind of fully get the big picture of it, because when you study the big picture of Scripture, you'll see there are key themes that play out throughout the whole book. And the care of children is one of those central themes. From beginning to end, we see the heart of God is for the orphan, is for the child. Right? And we can see an example of that in Psalm 82, verse 3 and 4 where the call on God's people is to defend the weak and the fatherless 
Your translation might say the orphan. Right? Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. It's the call of the people of God to protect the fatherless, those who would be taken advantage of. Again, you've got to think back in, you know, in the psalmist's day. If a child lost their father, if a mother lost her husband, they could lose it all. Wicked people could come in and take their land and cast them out. And it was the call of the people of God to not allow that, protect these children from these people. All throughout the Bible, we see this call to protect and uplift the orphan. If you think of the world that we live in today, broken families, the fatherless issues that we're seeing in Canada and in North America and Western countries, divorce, poverty, substance abuse, incarceration, homelessness, domestic abuse, gang violence, racism, teenage pregnancy, human trafficking, war, refugee crisis, all of these things. If you think about kind of the worst case stuff that's going on in the world, who is the most impacted by that? Kids. They're completely defenseless. They can't do anything about it. They don't have the resources to get out of the situation they find themselves in. They can't just pick up arms and overthrow the government. <laughs> they can't just, you know, get themselves out of this situation. They're completely at the mercy of everything around them. And God says, who will care for them? <laughs> who will care for them? Right? Caring for kids is not just a church program, <laughs> Caring for kids is not about, hey, we've got a Sunday school program, we make a, a spreadsheet, and we better make sure we've got a little tick box that we have enough people to run our program. Caring for kids, discipling kids, bringing kids to Jesus is the central theme of the Bible. It's not a program, it's a life, it's a call, it's who the church is supposed to be. If you look at churches in our country today that are closing, why are they closing? Because they don't teach the Word of God? Because they don't pray? Because the Holy Spirit's not there? Or did they lose their children? <laughs> they lose their kids. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Bible-believing churches close their doors. I've met pastors who preach way better than me. <laughs> And watch their church decline, 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 because they just can't seem to engage to reach kids in the next generation. We have to understand this is a central theme of the teaching of God. It's not a program. It's not an add-on. It's not something that we just kind of tack on. It's who the church is supposed to be, to care for the orphan, to care for kids. And then the second thing, I want you to jot down when we, when you, again, when you study scripture, big picture, when you study scripture, big picture, what you begin to see more and more is this, is that God cares about children more than we can imagine. God's care and love for children, we know it's big, but it's actually way bigger than we'd imagine. Right? Every single day I go in my office or in my car and I pray that God would do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine through his power at work in your life. I pray that every day. And if you know me, you know I, I can imagine a lot. I have a great and wonderful plan for your life. 
It's awesome. You're going to love it. Okay. And I'm praying into that plan. Okay. I can think of a lot, but I ask God to do even more than what I can imagine. And when we understand God's love for the fatherless, God's love for the orphan, we see God's love is greater than I can even imagine. Right? A great example of that is in Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6, where it's talking about who God is. It says, God is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. This is who God is in his holy dwelling. And God sets the lonely in families. I love that picture. That God takes the orphan, God takes the widow, God takes the least of these and brings them into his family. And God wants to bring more people and more children and more children and more children into his family. I heard a preacher say this once. If you think your church is a good enough size, your heart for people isn't big enough. If you think your church is a good enough size, if we start thinking our church, you know, we're, we're fine now. We got the two services. They're both feeling pretty full. Our kids' ministry is starting to bust at the seams. We're good. We can stop. As soon as we start thinking that way, our heart is smaller than the heart of God. Because <laughs> God wants to do more. <laughs> he wants to do more, immeasurably more. He wants all the lonely to be part of his family. He wants to do more. Right? And God is working in ways that we can't even imagine. Placing orphans into families because he is their father. Last week I was talking with a friend of mine who works for P- Compassion Canada. And if you're not familiar with Compassion, that's kind of the child sponsorship ministry. And their kind of ministry is really focused on evangelism and discipleship. It's relieving poverty in the name of Jesus. It's primarily about evangelism and discipleship and they do relief. They do care. They're reaching out the poor. It's a phenomenal ministry. Love it. I just absolutely love it. And he called me, and we were talking about different things, and he's trying to get me to get on an airplane and go somewhere crazy. What is it about my friends who want me to go on an airplane? You, you, you tell your friends, hey, I think God cured me of my fear of flying, and now suddenly everybody wants me to fly with them somewhere. I got, you know, friend wants me to go to Lebanon. friend wants me to go to Colombia. Now another friend wants me to go to Mexico. Please pray for me. Just because God's taking away my fear of flying doesn't mean... That's that dragging thing in the sand again, okay? We'll see where God does with that. But anyways, what happens when you finish your sermon on Wednesday? You go down a lot of rabbit trails, okay? But anyways, but he was sharing with me just the, the, if, the issue of orphans in different countries, and he was sharing with, even with Canada. You know, like our foster care system in Canada is good, but we have 50,000 kids in it. And the issue that we're dealing with in Canada is not that there are too many kids, it's the issue that they're finding is there's just not enough good homes that want to open their door to these kids. And he shared if every Baptist family in Canada opened their door to a foster kid, it would completely change the system. The issue isn't that there's too many kids. The issue is we're too busy with what we have to do or whatever. Like Our hearts are just not there. We're not thinking the way God is thinking. God wants to do immeasurably more. He wants the lonely to be loved, to be brought in to his family. And I think sometimes what happens is we get overwhelmed by how big the problem is. 
we get overwhelmed by it. And because it's so big, we, we just go, someone else has got to deal with it. Our church, we can't deal with it. We're not big enough. We're not one of these mega churches. We don't have the budget. We don't have this. We don't have that. And we start thinking about what we don't have. <laughs> Problem is we have a God <laughs> who can do immeasurably more <laughs> than we can ask or imagine. <laughs> so why do we put a limit on that God? <laughs> Investing in one child is not going to change the world but it's going to change the world for that child. Right? It's that famous story about the kid with the, uh, with the starfish on the beach when the tide goes out, and the kid's walking by, and he's throwing starfish back into the ocean. And some rich guy comes up and says, kid, what you're doing is a colossal waste of time. It doesn't matter. There's thousands of starfish on the beach. You can't save them all. The kid picks up one, throws it back into the ocean, says it mattered to that one. <laughs> and that's how the church changes the world. One person at a time, one child at a time, who's known, who, who is loved by God, who is loved by the church. So what's some application with this? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? How do we truly love the orphan? How do we love children the way this Matthew 18 text calls us to? How do we not be the church that causes these little ones who believe in Jesus to stumble? Well, the first is this, and this is kind of an application point from us as leaders. I don't always share the stuff and the decisions that we make as leaders because it's kind of this back-end stuff, and most people go, okay, that's cool for you. But here's how one of these things, one of these decisions that we have made as leaders will affect basically the future of the church. One thing that we have said is we will not ever lose the next generation on our watch, Ever. Over my dead body will I lose the next generation of kids in this church. Why? Because my kids are the next generation. I'm a first-generation Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I don't want it to stop with me. (laughs) And so I'm going to purposefully lead in such a way that we will never lose the next generation. We'll do our part. Now, I know it's all the work of God, and the Spirit of God has got to work. I get it. God does his part. But we as leaders, we do our part. (laughs) And we've got to be mature. Those of us, again, with a little bit of gray hair, we got to know it's about these kids. (laughs) How are we bringing these kids to Jesus? How are we discipling these kids how are we making them more in love with a, with a God who died for them and equipping them to have an impact in their generation? Those of us who are a little bit more mature, I had a guy who used to attend my church in Montreal. He was in his 80s, and he used to sit in the second row, and the worship band would be up there and with their shaved heads and big, long beards and all of their tattoos, and it was loud, it was loud, and your ears would bleed a little bit because the worship was so loud. And Mr. Roly Fair in his 80s used to sit there with one hand like this and one hand like this. And then he'd switch. And I sat there and said, I want to be like Roly Fair. He died a few years ago. I want to be like that guy. And there are days, there are some Sundays where I go, man, Chris Tomlin, Michael W. Smith, you did play one in the second set, so thank you so much for that. You saved me because I was dying, you know. Uh, you know, I need some Chris Tomlin or it's not real worship. I haven't heard a Michael W. Smith song in at least six weeks. Like, we've got to get Michael W. Smith back in the rotation here, or it's not a real church service. Right? We who've gone before, sometimes we need to say, I'd rather see our kids worshiping Jesus. 
and seeing them grow in their faith and we'll put up with music we hate and we'll listen to the music we like in the car on the way. <laughs> but as a leader, that's, as a leadership team, as elders, we will not lose the next generation. <laughs> that's a decision we've made. <laughs> we'll be purposeful in this. What's other things that we need to do? What's others take away? How do we love the way Jesus loved? How do we help these kids not to stumble? Well, the first is, another point is, we need more people who have a heart for kids the way Jesus has a heart for these kids. We're not just trying to fill a spreadsheet with, with any warm body who will do the work of the ministry. That's not what we want. We want people whose heart is growing for these kids in this culture that we live in can come alongside them, whether it's in Kid Zone or whether it's in Fusion. You know, right now in Fusion, we have more and more kids coming to Fusion who are, do, are not part of a Christian home. Like, and they're learning about Jesus in our ministry, and then they're going back home into a non-Christian home. These are spiritual orphans. We need people who will love on them in the messy lives that they live. And you know what we need? Men, I need you to step up. And I need you to be men to the fatherless. I know you're busy. I know you got stuff, but these kids, they're, they're, they're in single homes, they're in broken homes. They need to see what a godly father looks like. They have no clue. We need more of that. And God might be stirring in your heart to do that. You know, and we want to create our ministry in such a way where it's not like, oh, you signed up and you're stuck in this for years now. We're done with ministry like that. We want to be equipping and discipling, and coming alongside leaders, and intentionally raising up more leaders, because we desperately want to see orphans embraced. The spiritual orphan, the physical orphan, whatever that looks like, we don't want to be a place where we see these children stumble. Now, I realize not everyone can adopt. Not everyone can foster. You're not all called to do that. I was talking about this just this morning with my 14-year-old daughter. She's like, Dad, we're going to foster? That's awesome. I'm like, whoa, slow down. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking about fostering, but I didn't say I'm going to. Again, there's that knuckles in the sand thing. So, again, pray for me. I guarantee you, in the next 10 years, I was going to be full of kids again. I bet you. It's going to happen, isn't it, Danielle? Ah! See, you open up your heart to God, and he does stuff. So I'm like, we're not all called to do that. But, you know, we can all be a part of it. In whatever way God calls you to be a part of this work, you can be raising money to help people who are going through adoptions or fostering. You can provide some care. If you know a family that's fostering, give them a date night, watch the kids so they can go out and get a break. You know a single mom? Give her a ride. Help her out. Watch her kids. They need to know that they're cared for, that they have options. Get men, these kids need a father figure. Come alongside them. Sign up for Kids Zone. Sign up for Fusion. Talk to us. We'll show you what that looks like. Right? A lady dealing with an unexpected pregnancy, and she's going through the options. How do we love her? How do we have tough conversations in love and in mercy and in grace in that? How do we help people know that their child is cared for, even their unborn child is cared for? How do we help families in the difficulties of child rearing in today's crazy age? There's a step that we can all play in this, being a church family that truly embraces the orphan. Because caring for children is central to who God is, right? God cares about children in more ways than we can imagine. And we don't want to be closed off to that. We want to see God move in a mighty way in this generation, 
and how see this generation be the church, not the church of tomorrow, but the church today. <laughs> and see the Spirit of God move in their lives to impact their schools and their communities and wherever God sends them. It's exciting to see God move. And just to kind of really kind of close this idea, understanding the heart of God for the orphan, understanding the, the heart of God for children, is that you and I, in our sin, we were orphans. We were separated from God because of our sin. And it wasn't our religion that made us right with God. It wasn't because we kept 613 rules that made us right with God. It was Jesus coming, living a sinless life, going to the cross, letting sinful men hang him there. And he bled for our sin. And he died. And he's put into a tomb. And three days later, he rises from the dead in victory over sin and death. And when we accept that gift that God has given, then we're made new. Then we're made righteous. And we are no longer an orphan. We're brought into the family of God. So when we remember we were orphans at some point, that should stir our hearts to care for those who are orphans now, whether spiritually, physically. How do we care for these orphans in such a way? Don't want us to pray. I'm going to kind of kick it old school. Why don't we stand together? I don't do it like this often. Stand and let's pray. Lord, we praise you that um, we are no longer orphans. Those who have put their faith in Jesus um, to save us from our sin are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Lord, your heart breaks for the orphan, your heart breaks. For the least of these. And Lord, I pray for all of us here that you would soften our hearts to those who are orphaned, those who are spiritually orphaned, those who are far from you. Use us, God, to draw them into your family. God, we pray for the kids in our ministry who are being impacted by our ministry. And I pray, Lord, that we would never be a church that causes these little ones to stumble. We know, Holy Spirit, that you need to work in their lives, but there is a role that we play in this. Help those of us who are more mature to look on them with the heart that Jesus has and that we will not cause them to stumble in our religious tradition, in our preferences. Father, forgive me when I have caused a little one to stumble. Forgive me, God. And Lord, I pray that you would do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine as we embrace the orphan the way that we have been embraced.